Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we're in Ecclesiastes, and we're up to uh, chapter 10. We've done, uh, you know, we've gone through quite a bit of uh, the book. There's only uh, 10, 11, 12 left. But a uh, quick review, try to do a quick review here, because uh, Ecclesiastes is, you know, it, it's following Proverbs. It's, it's a book that uh, is somewhat poetically written, uh, it talks about vanity of vanities, which is talking about all is vanity, but it doesn't really mean all is vanity because it clearly talks within the text that the uh, some things aren't vanities. Uh, some things aren't empty, which is what the word vanity really means. And uh, it talks about the vanity of wisdom, but we're talking about the wisdom of men. And really, it's just a continuation of the same uh, poetic or allegoric theme of the knowledge of good and evil. When men try to decide for themselves what is good and evil with their own finite intellect, they begin to stray and go wrong and end up uh, being driven out of the garden because they can't stand the light of truth. They hide from God. They hide from the truth. They don't want to see the truth at all. And they become blind. Their eyes are darkened because they don't want to see the truth. In, in our modern news, we have a great deal of that where people don't want to see the truth about what some people would say is just obviously true. They they say, where's the debate? What's the confusion? You know, what's a woman? Yeah, can a man change into a woman? Can a woman change into a man? These are things that are distracting us in our modern news uh, media. And uh, there's a huge uproar. You could be canceled. Uh, you can be crucified in the system. Literally, that's the same spirit that crucified Christ. Although we've shown that Christ's crucifixion had a great deal to do with money and power. But really, there is people who don't want to see the light, want to feel justified. The people who don't want to see the truth want to be justified in their life. People who want to believe the lie and go under a strong delusion will want to cling to that lie. And anybody who says anything contrary to that lie or brings them face to face with their strong delusion will become an enemy of the state. Uh, become an entity of that power if it ends up controlling the state. And it ends up controlling the state because of the fact that the people are weakened, the social bonds of society are broke down by society, by the practices of society, which in our outline of uh, uh, Ecclesiastes, we, we see the, the vexation of the Spirit and asks, shall we be wise man or a fool? And of course they also talk about 
the sacrifice of fools. But this this uh, theme of are you going to be a wise man, a self-indulgent man, uh, living by your own wisdom or living by the wisdom of God, uh, eating of the tree of knowledge or eating of the tree of life, because eating of the tree of life is about divine revelation. And, uh, you know, the author of the book about mass formation of psychosis, uh, Desmond Mont, you know, talks about the fact that almost all the great scientists, who, many of whom were atheists or now, or before the end of their life, were becoming believers in some sort of a God, some sort of a divine influence. And because the breakthroughs in their science... Uh, they say was inspiration. It was revelation. You know, different if uh, Desmond doesn't speak English. Well, he does speak English, but it's not his first language. And so he uses some words a little bit different than we commonly use in our language simply because they, in his opinion, they translate better into English. But he sees this revelation as a real part of real science. And of course, nowadays we have, you know, follow the science, follow the science. But the science often has now been literally hijacked by the same people who don't want to see the truth, who want to live in darkness, who want to be woke rather than awakened. So... Our study of this vexation of fools, this wise or foolish pattern that we're going to follow in our thinking, in our minds, in our hearts, and in our actions, is very apropos for this time and this uh, world that we have created for ourselves. Uh, we pointed out that the Bible is mostly about Law. It's mostly about government. It mentions religion like five times as a word, religion. But it talks about religion all the time. But the religion it's really talking about all the time is defined differently than the religion that we see defined in the Bible or talked about in the Bible. Because the five times that the word religion shows up, four times it's in a bad sense. It's bad religion. It's literally public religion, which is public religion is the sacrifice of fool. Because religion included this idea of sacrifice from the beginning. Adam and Eve, uh, Cain and Abel, they sacrificed for some purpose. And we have these allegories that shows pictures of piles of stone and burning up sheep and uh, burning up vegetables from your plowed adama, uh, your plowed ground. And we put these in little kids' Bible books and we say, yes, that's what they, they literally piled up stones and they just fit together perfectly and they were unhewn stones and they put sheep on top of it and it burned up. And we see this same thing in in Samuel. We'll see it in Ezra. We've, we see references to it even in Ecclesiastes. But really what they're talking about is the Jehovah Nisi, the altars of God, 
which are a system of social welfare where you sacrifice for the the needy of society. This is what pure religion is, is how you take care of the needy of society, unspotted by the world. The world is the constitutional order and system of men, the civil laws of men that exercise authority one over the other, something that Christ said, we were not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but called themselves benefactors, which is summing up a story that we're seeing repeated, the, the turtle dove guide us, that is going to be completely excluded from the world of uh, Moses and the kingdom of Moses. It's not going to be a part of that system that Moses is going to be seen setting up, which we went through when we went through all of Exodus, showing that they did have a social safety net. They had a they had a social safety net. The tables of Sumer provided for the needy of society. That was the Nisi or Nasi or Nazi goddess, turtle dove goddess that provided for the welfare of Sumer and the same in many of the other city states and this is how they bound the people together but they bound them together in a contractual relationship where you had to pay into this system of social safety net the social safety net offered by Pharaoh brought the people into bondage but the granaries that he built up he simply built up with his personal wealth by depositing grain in granaries according to the advice of Joseph and those granaries were going to be the social safety net of Israel and Israel went into bondage because their money ran out their land ran out they didn't have enough animals anymore to buy the grain, so they sold themselves and their animals to Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh gave them uh, welfare. They gave them land to live on, uh, legal title to land. They didn't buy it. They were given it, not entirely. They were literally given legal title to it, and they lived on that land. They produced on that land, but part of their labor now belonged to the government of Pharaoh. This actually occurred for everybody in Egypt except for the high priests or, or the priest class. Well, what were the priest class? What were they doing in those temples? Well, they had the temple granaries. They were in charge of the social welfare just like the dove goddess of Sumer. They're in charge of the social welfare. Because they're measuring grain coming in, they're measuring fields of grain, they're measuring grain going out, they're managing these, they're taking accounting of these funds. They were priests, which could be called scribes, because scribes were those who kept a record, who wrote out the record. There's many people who talk about Ezra being a scribe. And they said at that time that meant that he was paying attention to the documents of the Torah. 
and that he understood the Hebrew and he understood the language and all this stuff. He was detailed in it. Well, that too, because that was a book of law explaining how the law worked. And being a priest that takes care of the social welfare of society through the sacrifice of the people required that he also was in charge of weights and measures to to make sure that an effort was an effort and a denarii was a denarii and that a dime was a dime and an ounce was an ounce and a dollar was a dollar. A dollar used to be a, a measure of weight. Originally it was the old uh, language would call it a thaller. And so the idea of weights and measures, the idea of a social safety net is repeated over and over again in the Bible. And yet many scholars, many theologians, many ministers don't understand that religion, pure religion, is taking care of one another without the exercise of authority. Because if we did that, then that would become a vanity. We do it through charity, through faith, hope, and charity. And of course, that is the whole theme of Jesus Christ. To love one another, using a word that is also translated charity, to take care of one another, the widows, the orphans, the people that are needy in your society, but do it only through charity, not through force. And of course, that's exactly what Moses said when he set up his altars, that all the gifts that come to the altars by the hand of the people had to be free will offerings. And one of the words for that offering or sacrifice was Corban, which we see in the New Testament, the Corban of the Pharisees made the word of God did not affect. In other words, they were vanities. Their systems were vanities. And so, this is really the theme of Ecclesiastes, is this idea of uh, fools, the sacrifice of fools, which is vanity. But we come to the sacrifice of the fools because we don't hear... The warnings. There is a warning in that if a man cares only for himself or chooses to oppress others, we see this in chapter 4, he may become a fool who foldeth his hands together and ends up where he eateth his own flesh. Well, of course, that's, that's the whole theme of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, Proverbs 10 where you consent together, all have one purse, and you you lay in wait for the blood of the innocent, but it is your own blood that is devoured. We see this theme come up again in the New Testament. Be careful you do not bite one another, lest ye be devoured. Well, how do you bite one another? Is you create a common purse, a one-purse system, where everything is owned by some governmental authority, and everything is redistributed by some top-down government authority, by those benefactors who exercise authority instead of distributed by the people. And he talks about the poor and the foolish in chapter 4. 
well, poor in spirit, poor in knowledge, poor in understanding. By chapter 5, he's beginning with the sacrifice of fools. And that's where we see that. And the rash mouth. The rash mouth is the one who takes an oath, who consents, like we just saw previously in Proverbs. They consent with these people who want to lay wait for the blood of others to make a gain at the expense of others, which is by essence a covetous practice. All systems where you have a common purse and the government can force the contributions of the people to take care of the needy of society or even build the army. That, that's where Saul got into trouble with Samuel. Is that he forced a sacrifice and they were not to force the sacrifice. They had to be free will offerings. If they weren't free will offerings, you're not a free country. You will soon degenerate and return to bondage and find once more a monarch and a king. So he talks about the sacrifice of fools. You can go back and study chapter 5. We have the recordings up there. Chapter 6. But a man can covet his riches kept as the owner thereof to their hurt, which is an evil. In other words, if you aren't sharing, if you're a wealthy man that isn't sharing, it can be to your hurt. It can become a common amongst men and an evil disease. Well, today the rich man doesn't have to share. A lot of times they do give to charities, but it's often to glean favors from somebody else like George Soros. He, he gives all kinds of charities, but he creates charities that have a social agenda. But he can do that because the law will protect him. If he knows the law, he can manipulate the law. And he can, certainly has manipulated Congress. And I don't want to pick on George Soros. So I'm just using him because he's a big guy in the news that everybody's talking about. He's a controversial figure. But the real problem is us. And and this is what we're seeing as we get through Ecclesiastes and we get into chapter 7. We're singing the song of fools. We're, saying, we're engaged in those covetous practices that Peter says would make us merchandise. Return us to the bondage of Egypt and curse our children with that same bondage. And in chapter 7 they talk about a woman. All of a sudden they mention a woman whose heart is a stare and a net. And we'll see that in Ezra. There was, there's a whole thing in Ezra about the strange wives. Well, is it strange wives or strange fire? What is it that they were talking about? Because the same word for fire is the same word for wives. The same word for fire is the same word for wives in the Hebrew language. So you can have strange fire. Are you talking about strange fire or are you talking about strange wives? Wives, just like the turtle dove goddess, is a woman. Because a woman is put in charge of the care of the people. The church is often referred to as the bride of Christ, even though it's composed a great deal, you know, the ministers are composed a great deal of men. It still has this feminine nature of nurturing and caring for society. But a strange woman who does, will care for society, but he'll do it, it will do it like the turtle dove goddess. It will do it by forcing the offerings. Now, I suspect at the beginning of the turtle dove goddess, the offerings were charitable to a great extent. 
they may have taxed foreigners or they may have taxed other people or that have a minimum tax. You know, it usually starts out real small. Like, it, there was a tax in Israel, in ancient Israel, that you had to pay, but it was like like a dime. And anybody could pay it. And it was actually from the whole family. You know, so that you what it is is your ante up. But then you had to give first fruits. But again, now you're giving your first fruits, jump-starting the social welfare system of Moses, but you're giving it to the minister of your choice, and you're picking it yourself. And and Jesus talks about this same thing, about the the servants of the master come to the people and say, well, what do you owe? Well, according to the rules, I owe 10%, uh, which comes to this amount. And can you pay that? No, I can't. I don't have it. Things have been hard, so I can only pay this much. And he writes, paid in full. He scribes, paid in full. Because he's the tax collector for the kingdom of God. But you told them you could only pay this much. Now, they're still doing this in all the governments of the world where... Where the taskmaster, the tax collector, the gabi, the mulkai, a guy who goes around and collects the sacrifices of the people, he goes to your house and say, how much do you owe? And you say, I owe this much. And he looks at your paperwork and he says, no, I think you owe more than that. As a matter of fact, I think you owe this much and you didn't pay it. And so that I'm going to fine you, I'm going to take your property away, I'm going to take your house away, I'm going to take your, seize your bank accounts, I'm going to fine you because you didn't pay on time. That's not a minister of God. That's a, a minister of fools. Because he's there to collect the sacrifice of fools. And the Corbin of the Pharisees. And he is not, a, he is, Operating by the wisdom of men. He's operating according to the altar of Cain. He's operating according to Nimrod. He's operating according to Babylon. Because you're in Babylon the Great. You have again become merchandise of some ruler, dictate, potentate, whatever. President, prime minister, doesn't really matter. You are subject to them because you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. You've rejected the sacrifice of Christ. You've rejected the ways of Christ. You have gone whoring after the benefits of a strange woman who produces strange fire. And now you've returned to the bondage of Egypt. And the wisdom of the Ecclesiastes is trying to bring your attention to that. And Ezra will too. But we'll have to talk about that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after a brief break. So be right back. Well, in our quick review, welcome back. In our quick review, uh, we got up to chapter 6, which t- talks about this common evil disease. And it's selfishness is the common evil disease. 
it, when we say rich man, I mean, what's a rich man? A man who's got more money than you is rich <laughs> compared to you. So anybody, you know, upper middle class, middle class, if you're down lower class and middle class, look like rich people. But the reality is, is those that have, the, the, to those that do not have, are rich. And so, if they are selfish, this common evil disease, society will degenerate. They will degenerate to their hurt. And we need to understand how that works, because that's what's talked about all the time in the New Testament. That that you had to, you know, the first fruits was, you just went out and sacrificed the firstborn of your, you know, if you had a sheep that gave birth the first year, and the lambs of that sheep that first year birth, they're going to be sacrificed. They're not going to be put on piles of dead stone and set on fire to make a sweet savor smell, smell for God. It's that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the social safety net, just like the the uh, altars of Nisi in Sumer were used to distribute welfare to the needy of society. And of course, after they had this battle with Moses out there in the desert, and and uh, the uh, enemies of Israel. They needed to set up the Jehovah Nisi altars. And he called them the Jehovah Nisi, not the Turtle Dove Nisi. But they're still altars. But he says they have to be free will offerings. Because by that time, Sumer was into forced offerings. Just like Pharaoh was into forced offerings. And and if you're into forced offerings, if you think that's a good idea, you know, like you're going to force your neighbor to p- provide free education for your grade school children and your high school children, that will eventually lead to people wanting to force you to provide their college education and pay off their student loans. Because it's the same spirit. It's the spirit of force. It's the spirit of... They're going to plow your wealth and take from your wealth what they think you ought to pay. Now, they can do that, and that's okay for the people who want to go that way, but it's going to lead to bad things. It's going to ruin and break down your society. And and I can show you Polybius, Plutarch, uh, Juvenal, uh, philosophers all the way back to... uh, you know, uh, Plato and Aristotle that says that this is a dangerous thing. Of course, I can find you philosophers that go back there and say, yeah, this is a good thing. Because it's it's what, you know, Plutarch says it's the greatest destroyers of liberty. But Plutarch wasn't entirely against it. Because there were an awful lot of selfish people. But the selfish people were prospering because they had set up a welfare system. See what, like I said, when they set it up to begin with, it's a minor inconvenience. I gotta pay in this much. You know, it's like Social Security. What was it at the beginning? One and a half percent. What is it now? Income tax, you had to make enough money to buy three homes. When income tax was instituted through the Social Security Act, that's really how it got, it came about. 
which, you know, we explain in other articles. We show you the law. You, you can go read it for yourself. We link to it. But that's how you return to the bondage of Egypt, is that you covet your neighbor's goods, which is exactly what Peter said you would do. But that is the song of the fool that we see mentioned in chapter 7 in the Ecclesiastes, who makes the sacrifice of fools versus the song of the Lamb and the Corbin of Christ. The sacrifice of fools is the Corbin of the Pharisees that makes the word of God to none effect. Write it down. <laughs> and the song of the Lamb is the, the Corbin of Christ. Corbin isn't bad. Corbin is good. But when it's not free will offering, that's a bad thing. It's going to lead to even worse things. So, there is a gift that destroys and keeps wisdom far off. As there is a woman whose heart is a snare and a net. It captures you. See, now, a lot of people listening to this, maybe for the first time, they're not going to want to hear this. Uh, they're going to say, well, wait a minute, I paid in. I want, to, I want to get my money back. I want to collect my money back. Wrong way to think. Because what you paid in is gone. There's no way. Top economist in the United States, uh, Thomas Sowell, says there's absolutely, we, we quote him on our Social Security page. There's no way to get any money out of Social Security without taking money from, forcing to take money from somebody else. Taking, you know, you're not even taking monies because we're not dealing with weights and measures, we're dealing with credit union, units. But that's another whole topic. To stay focused, that's a snare in a net. How do you get out of that snare in the net? You have to think differently. Now, there is a way to do that. And, but as we'll see, he, he talks, well, well, we'll get to that when we get to the review of that chapter. But that's chapter 7, and chapter 7 has a lot of subtitles because a lot goes on. It's a little bit longer chapter than some. But uh, the teacher's conclusion and the value of wisdom, and again, we have the wisdom of men and the wisdom of God. Which wisdom is he talking about? And you, you can only usually tell by the context, but he talks about this precious ointment that comes to the solemn heart. So, ointment is the same word for oil. Now, the foolish virgins ran out of oil. And then they had to go off and try to find some oil and they ended up coming back and the doors were already shut. But that what they were looking for is that precious ointment that comes to the solemn heart, the serious heart. What were the foolish virgins doing? They were dancing and having a good time. And probably singing the song of fools. They might not have been singing the song of fools, but it was foolishness because it wasn't a solemn heart. It wasn't the song of Moses. It's not enough not to sing the song of fools. It's not enough to say, I do not want to be a partaker of the sacrifice of fools. I do not want the benefit. That's not enough. You have to sing the song of the Lamb, which is equated with the song of Moses, which we see Moses was setting up a social welfare system that operated through free will offerings. You don't find the word charity anywhere in the Old Testament, in most translations. 
but you find a word for free will offering. And, and that's what's demanded. So from the beginning, Moses was saying, you have to provide for these altars through charity. But if they said through charity rather than sacrifice, you might realize that, well, how is it charity if I just burn this sheep up? But if I give up the control of that sheep to the Levites, everybody thinks that, okay, they give a, a sheep to the Levites and they go burn it up. The Levites had huge tracts of land in common. They had a huge flocks of sheep. And they could pull from those flocks of sheep that were grazing on those common lands anytime they wanted to help feed the poor and to sacrifice. And, and of course, when they sacrifice, some things get burnt up or they get used up. Now, according to one historian, there was a huge soap works because there was a lot of leftover fat when you butchered a sheep and then redistributed it. So they had this, you know, in the shambles that they talk about in the New Testament. There's a lot of stuff that ends up on the floor as you cut the sheep up and you take the hide off. If you, There's a thing when you butcher sheep, you fist the hide off. But even some of the flesh and and muscle and fat will end up on the hide. But if you fist the hide off rather than cutting it off, then you have less of that fat going. But if you do, some of that fat will be on the hide. Now you scrape that fat off to prepare the hide to, because the hide has value. You can, you can, you can make a, a mattress out of the hide. You can take the wool off the hide. You can make leather out of the hide. And then the Levites could turn that leather into something else they might need. They might trade it for oils that they used to help take care of the needy of society, help cure diseases. They brought those oils from Egypt, which we call essential oils now or, you know, aromatic oils that that have medicinal value. And, of course, their job was the health and well-being of society, financially, physically. Morally. And of course, it's only moral if you're taking care of one another through charity. It's immoral if you're taking care of one another through covetous practices. And it's a covetous practice to force your neighbor to contribute to what you want for free. That's coveting. It's legal if everybody signs up, consents, like they said in Proverbs. That come with us, consent. To this system of the dove goddess, of Ishtar, of Nisi. This is the theme from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Is how you take care of the needy of your society. Do you do it through love? Or do you do it through force and greed and, and filthy lucre? And, and this is the message. So the, the true wisdom gives life. But the, Wisdom of men brings deception. It is the gift that destroys. It, 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 that rests in the bosom of fools. Which these are all topics that are in that chapter 7. You can go back and study that chapter 7. But just men give their life and 
So that's going back to the, the, the wealthy man or the man who has extra. You know, when we read uh, 150 years after the birth of Christ, there was Justin the Martyr, and he wrote a, a whole picture for the emperor of how Christians operate. And they met every week, and those that had shared with those that did not have enough. Because the wealthy amongst us did not hoard or covet their wealth. They shared it. Which was going to be essential. But what happened when they shared it was that when people came to persecute them, and a lot of times the persecutions came to the wealthy rather than the poor. Because when you were persecuted, you know, like if you died in the arena or something like that, your property was confiscated. Who wants to pro- uh, confiscate the property of a poor man? But to confiscate the property of a rich man, there's some money in that. Follow the money again. And, of course, that's what happened during the Inquisition. You could say all kinds of things that were considered heresies and get away with it if you were a poor man. But you couldn't get away with it if you were a rich man because the Inquisitor would confiscate your property. <laughs> of course, a large portion of it would go to the king, but that's why the king hired inquisitors that were on his side. Grafting corruption didn't just begin recently in government. It's been around from the beginning. I mean, that's how Alexander the Great was able to conquer so many different places across the known world at that time was most of the governments were so corrupt and his government was fairly fair, fairly law-abiding, fairly just. And so they said, uh, we can keep this tyrant or we can back... (laughs) We can back... Uh, Alexander the Great. That's how the Spanish conquistadors were able to defeat the Aztec army. It's because the Aztecs were killing their own people or killing, you know, their slaves by the millions. You know, well, by the tens of thousands. They were killing them on a regular basis. And many of the tribes were enslaving other tribes. They would raid a tribe and they'd take the kids and they'd take the women and they they pretty much were slaves. So this has been going on for a long time, this graft and corruption. But Moses was teaching another way. Ecclesiastes is teaching another way. Christ is teaching another way. Where you don't make your neighbor a slave to your desires, to, to your greed, to your want. That you you create the social bonds of a free society by taking care of one another through charity. If you do not address that, it doesn't matter if you sit down in the tens, which we mentioned in chapter 7. Which is what Jordan Peterson is starting to do. But unfortunately, he is listening to all kinds of people that are part of, you know, that if you if you track those people back... In their history, in their personal business history, you'll find them connected to the Great Reset, to the New World Order. Which doesn't want you to sit down in tens and actually do what the tens did. Which was to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. Because that's the only way to create those social bonds that Dr. Malone talks about. 
those social bonds that we see being created for 40 years in the desert amongst the Israelites that made them prosperous. But when they got away from those free will offerings and instituted the Corbin of the Pharisees, their society began to decay and the monarchs began to rule. But Christ would not rule. See, it's a temptation for the monarch to rule. He he was teaching you what Moses was teaching you. How to be the wise man. Which we see in chapter 7. The wise man keeps the king's commandment. Well, what are those commandments? Well, you don't steal. That, that's one. You don't kill. That, that's one. You don't bear false witness. What would be false witness? Saying that you believe in Jesus, but you don't want to do what Jesus said. Saying you keep his commandments, but then you engage in covetous practices, which is a violation of his commandments. Which every single church, to some degree or another, does. And I say every single, of course I could be wrong, there could be some that don't. But uh, And there are certainly some that do it less. And there are some that are very close to the kingdom of God. But generally speaking, very few people want to look at this idea of socialism as coveting your neighbor's goods. To the men who exercise authority, one over the other. The wise man keeps the commandments of God. He doesn't covet his neighbor's goods. To the men who exercise authority. Which is of course why Christ said we weren't to be that way. Yet every Christian church down the street from you. Sends the people to the men who exercise authority. To get any benefits. If you want to come to church. And sing songs. Not the song of Moses or the song of the Lamb. But the you know, rock of ages. You know the, the ones that elicit an emotional response. We'll sing those songs. But we're not singing the song of Moses. We're not going to live by free will offerings. We're not going to take care of the needy of society, the widows and orphans of our congregation, through charity alone. We're not going to do that. We don't need to do that. And that's what we'll see in Ezra. Where somebody interpreted what Ezra was saying is that, yeah, yeah, you can covet your neighbor's goods to the men who exercise authority. But we'll build a really nice, bright, shiny temple that will make you think that you are worshiping God when you are not. Christ was not thrilled with the with the temple of Herod. He 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 kind of put it down because the temple that he was building was of living stones. And we'll take a look at Ezra and see if that isn't that what Ezra was really saying. But that we'll do that on another day. So those who fear God will do well. And if you fear God, you will not engage in covetous practices and and pretend that you're a Christian, thereby taking the name of Christ in vain, taking the name of Jesus in vain. You will not give sleep to your eyes in order to pursue and preserve the righteousness of God. You will not eat of the tree of knowledge but you will have knowledge to lead you back to the ways of God. So in chapter 9 we see death comes to all. Life is fleeting. The heart of a man is evil and madness. But see, the wisdom of men 
leads to madness. Which is, of course, if you don't, if you want to know what that is, just turn on the news stations. <laughs> You'll hear a lot of madness these days. Wisdom is better than folly. And what is folly? Well, it's the foolish sacrifice of FDR and LBJ and all these systems of social welfare through men who exercise authority. You, you end up being besieged by rulers who will send swarms of officers amongst you to eat out your substance, but you will still celebrate the 4th of July, even though there is a tax on everything, including tea. <laughs> I always remember an Englishman who uh, came into a restaurant. Uh, he was driving up from California here to Oregon, and he stopped at a restaurant somewhere along Shasta or someplace. And um, he uh, ordered tea. It's tea time. English in their tea. And uh, he put the money on the counter to pay for the tea. And they, they said, but, you know, it's plus tax. And uh, he, he looked at him and said, tax on tea? To pre precede that, he had been, because they heard his English accent, it was 4th of July, the people in the restaurant jokingly were teasing him, what's a limey doing here in America on the 4th of July? And and this guy probably knew more about the Constitution than anybody in that restaurant. But, uh, so he joked with them and everything. And, uh, but then when he goes to leave, they remind him there was a tax on the tea because in California there was a sales tax on tea in restaurants. And he said, just so everybody in the restaurant could hear, a tax on tea? Then why did you kick my brothers out? And it, you could hear a pin drop in that restaurant. Everybody was thinking, wow, we got a tax on tea in California. <laughs> Because you've returned to the ways of bondage. Because you've been singing the song of fools. And I'm supposed to tell you. And my daughter's always telling me, don't attack their delusion. Well, the truth attacks your delusion. I'm I'm all for you. I, I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning your society. It's condemning itself. And I'm just showing you. You know, the guy who yells, stop, you're about to drive over a cliff. He's, you can say, well, wait a minute, I wanted to believe that I could keep driving here. (laughs) That was my delusion. Well, I'm just trying to save your life. I'm just trying to save your soul. So, a little, a little folly makes wisdom stink, which now we're, Getting into chapter 10. So we jumped. uh, Which is going to be somewhat the topic of today. I mentioned it when we did chapter 9. But. Death comes to us all. Chapter 9. Evil net that snares man. Is this folly. This greed. This. The wages of unrighteousness. The dainties of rulers. This is what destroys you and you need to be wise enough and humble enough to see that unless we address that elephant in the room, we will not be free. So, let's read Ecclesiastes. Uh, 
get started in it. It's not a super long chapter either, although it's, uh, let's see, what is it, 20, 20 verses. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly, a little foolishness, him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. <clears throat> so, a little folly is costly for wisdom. And this this word wisdom in, has to do with in administration and the glory and honor and glorious abundance. I have the, the actual Hebrew words so you can look at the Hebrew words and the actual uh, text on the page. But to recite it all to you, a person get lost in it. But it's, you know, like for instance, the word reputation, which is uh, Yad, uh, I have to think here, Yad Kuf um, Resh. That that's the the basic word that we the the basic root word that we see in in the text, but uh, but it actually includes some additional letters in that particular sentence, so that you know you're trying to figure out what 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 is it? it it's talk about precious, but it's talk about costly. It's talking about rare. What does that word actually mean? Well, we'll take a look at that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 10. And it has this strange statement in the beginning where it talks about the the flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. Now when they talk about ointment, they're talking about oils again. And they're correlating the idea that your oil can stink. Now, what did we say earlier about where do you get your oil? Well, it has to do with this wisdom that ha- that that is of God rather than the wisdom that is of men. And so uh, they they talk about how uh, that ointment uh, is increased. It has you know like wh- where did was it really oil that the foolish virgins had to go and find and purchase? Or was it what comes with building those social bonds? The, the, it, the social bonds that you create through faith, hope, and charity are different than the social bonds you create through contracts, covenants, and constitutions. It, you know, you've watched the movies Band of Brothers and there's several other movies that are out of soldiers on the front lines and they create these bonds where these guys are facing unbelievable death and dangers but they come to the aid of their buddies 
You know, they escape from the hospital to get back to the front line. They aren't thinking about the Constitution. There was a movie, I can't remember which one it was, uh, but, uh, they, they had the, the, the guy who was the gung-ho guy and all, all this stuff, and I mean, like, he gets killed almost immediately. Cause, you know, patriot, you know, and all this stuff. Somebody was talking a lot about patriotism is so important. Well, wait a minute. The Nazis were patriotic. Patriotism itself is not a virtue. It, it, it can appear as a virtue, but it can be an actual foolish practice if you're patriotic for evil. And countries can be evil because they can, they can put in place evil po- policies, covetous policies. So you don't want to be patriotic. You want to call them out, those evil practices. And of course that's what we're seeing in Ecclesiastes. And that's why we see in this Ecclesiastes 10 where they're talking about the dead flies causing the ointment of the apothecary to stink like the little folly him that is in reputation. And again, that word reputation has to do with with something weighty, influential. Something precious, something valuable. That's what they're talking about when they're talking about this reputation. But uh, for wisdom, and again we're looking at that word wisdom, which is translated wisdom 145 times. And a few other times, wisely or skillful man and everything. And it has the basic three letters of Chetkov, Mem, and often with a hey. But it has to do with being wise. But is it the wisdom of men? Or is it the wisdom of God? If it's the wisdom of God, that means that man is eating of the tree of life. In order to eat of the tree of life, you have to get back near the garden at least. And that's what Corbin comes from a word that means to draw near. So the sacrifice of God, the Corbin of God, the Corbin of Christ, draws you near the tree of life. While the Corbin of the Pharisees made the word of God to none effect. It makes you farther from the tree of life. And like I said, the, the fiery sword that shines in all directions is to guide you like a beacon back to the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but to eat of the tree of life. And it will also, through inspiration, help you organize the knowledge that's out there in the world. I mean, CNN will help you organize the knowledge that's out there in the world. MSNBC will help you organize the knowledge that's out in the world. Fox News will help you organize They'll organize it differently, but it may be just as much a deception, but different deception. Those are your choices. Or you can draw near God and he will help you organize the truth, the knowledge, the information that's out there. And you will find yourself rejecting certain things that presents itself as true that just ain't so. 
And one of the things that presents itself as true is that it is okay to covet your neighbor's goods through the agency of men who exercise authority. That's going to make your ointment stink. So even if you are a foolish virgin and you go out and you get new oil, it's going to stink. In other words, if you give charity from the heart, based on the leading of the Holy Spirit, by nature, that charity will strengthen the poor. But if you give charity based on fear, you know, like you're afraid not to contribute, uh, because the taskmasters might arrest you, if you give because uh, you want to appear to be a giver up there in the front of the church or, or wherever, that you're this... You know, like George Soros thinks he's this big philanthropic guy. He th- thinks he's God. He actually said that. He thinks he's God. And he's come to peace with the fact that he is like God. He can, you know, so he's got his open society that he's promoting. He doesn't know where these ideas come from because he walks in darkness. He thinks, he, he may literally think he's doing the world a favor. Just like there are people out there that think that it is a good idea to reduce the world's population down to about 500 million people. They think that's a good idea. And they they don't want to kill everybody, but they'd like to, you know, I mean, they, they made movies about it. They made TV series about it. That, you know, what was utopia. That they create a fake pandemic. And then they distribute the vaccines for the fake pandemic. And the fake is supposedly, I guess, it makes everybody sterile. So they're not going to have any more children. And, of course, when your population starts decreasing, (laughs) there may be rebellion in the streets. But it'll be too late. Uh, what do we get? 92%, 93% of the people in America have received at least one vaccination. No, I, didn't. I don't believe that they're all sterile. I mean, uh, it's very clear that there were different results from the secondary patches that came out. If you're, if you're following batches, which almost nobody does, certainly NBC and CNN don't do that. If you're following batches and the VAERS uh, reactions that were recorded by bears, which is a government program. You you realize, well, wait a minute. This second batch was a lot more side effects than the first batch. You know, I mean, it's like a. Well, we won't go we too much off, but the reality is, you don't know what's true, and the media is not going to give you the answers. How do you know? Well, you need to have that revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that will come with the ointment of God, the oil of God. It will just come upon you. But if you if you don't listen to God in your heart, if you aren't willing to sacrifice for others, you won't have any oil. And things will go badly for you. And you will have the wisdom of men, but not the wisdom of God. So in verse 2, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, 
but a fool's heart at his left. So that's interesting. Christ talks about the left hand and the right hand. He says, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, etc., etc. What's that all about? That, uh, you know, almsgiving has to do with right and left hand, the right side of government, the left side of government. That one should be... Because Moses was teaching a government. So how did they take care? Very little information coming. How did Israel take care of the needy of society? They had famines. They had wars where people would be injured. Fathers would be killed. Husbands would be killed. Children would be orphaned. How did you take care of those people? Well, we see some semblance of it in the New Testament, but if you read the Old Testament, it seems almost devoid from the topic of the Old Testament. It's because you've turned the altars of stone and clay into superstitious mumbo-jumbo. When it was really about empowering the Levites with enough funds, enough materials, enough resources to take care of the needy of society in a way that has strengthened the poor. People still got sick, people died, people fell off ladders, people got injured in war. Who's taking care of the needy of society? Well, they were broke down into the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so most of the most of the care was at that grassroots level. But occasionally there was big things like a war, and there were lots of injured, and, I mean, you could have... You know, a ten-family group that got hit hard. And they lost a lot of sons in that battle. They were on the side that got flanked. So they have all kinds of widows there. Well, that local congregation can't take care of all those widows. Too many of the men are gone. So how do they do it? Through the Jehovah Nisi altars. Which is why he created it. That could help out those people. Paul talks about helping out the widows and orphans. But then he says, let's not be crazy. We got a widow here. She's 22 years old. She has one child. She needs to get married. She isn't going on welfare. She needs to find another husband who will take care of her and, and her family. And will adopt her child as his own. And so that's what they're... Because religion was your social welfare. So the wise man's heart is at his right hand. But the fool's heart is at his left. That's talking about the charity in society. There's a foolish charity... A foolish sacrifice, a sacrifice of fools, and there's the sacrifice of the wise. Verse 3, Yea, also, when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him. His wisdom faileth him. And he saith to everyone that he is a fool. Now, he may not actually say that he's a fool, but he says he's a fool by what he does. If he's engaging in the covetous practices and taking from his neighbor through men who exercise authority, he's a fool. And he says so by what he's doing. 
Verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fools already have a ruler who can force sacrifice. We saw that back with Saul. Saul forced to sacrifice. Samuel didn't say, you can't do that. But he said, your kingdom will not stand because you do that. God didn't say that that uh, Cain's altar where he plowed the Adama, which is mankind, he plowed the Adama to get the sacrifices that he was going to give through his Jehovah Nisi. That was a dangerous way to go. That that could lead to degeneration of society. It could lead to corruption. But God says, but if you did rightly with that system, you'd be okay. But he warned them that evil crouches at your door because you're doing it that way. Seth, or Abel at least, was a shepherd. And he was, you you don't force the sheep. You lead the sheep. You lead the sheep by the still waters. You you let them lay down in green pastures. You take care, you tend to the sheep. And the sheep voluntarily give you their wool. There's even reference to when it comes time to butcher an animal. They, they don't butcher like a goat. They don't, they don't, they, they, they literally, you put your hand on them and you lay them down and, and, and you can butcher them in a humane way. But of course we don't want to take the metaphor too far. But the fact is it's free will sacrifices that fed the altars of Abel. But plowed offerings came to the altars of Cain. Now I know that's not what a lot of people are used to hearing. But this is, this is, is also, you aren't used to hearing that Jesus said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. It is not to be that way with you. That's his own words. But it is that way with you. This folly. And you're making the ointment stink. And what you often think is the Holy Spirit is emotionalism. And God's not going to hear your prayers because you're taking bites out of one another until you have now been devoured by the Great Reset or whatever. So, the spirit of the ruler rises up against thee. Leave not thy place. Don't rebel. Don't fight against evil. Which, what do you have to do? You have to change. Verse 5. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low places. Harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he is coveting his wealth. Not sharing it through a true church established by Christ 
to take care of the needy of society. But then again, most of the poor aren't giving their first fruits either. Unless we deal with this issue of social welfare through charity or social welfare through force, you will not be free. This is where repentance comes in. You have to repent of the one and pursue the other. Verse 6. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich sit in low places. 7. I have seen the servants upon horses and princes walketh as servants upon the earth. They walking as servants upon the earth. What is servants upon horses? What were you not supposed to do in Deuteronomy 17? You weren't to accumulate horses if you were a ruler. And what's he talking about? He's talking about rulers. And the servants of rulers are exercising authority. That's what he's talking about. The servants upon horses ruling over the people. And the prince is walking as if they were servants upon the earth. Verse 8. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it. He who spreadeth a net, as we saw in Proverbs, is going to be captured in the net of his own making. He who bites one another will be devoured. He who plows his neighbor evil crouches at your door. You have to get away from that. You have to repent. You have to go another way. He that diggeth a pit shall fall into it, and he whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Breaketh a hedge. Hedges were boundaries. You're breaking the boundaries. You're 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 going over your neighbor's house and saying time to contribute so that I can have free education over at my house. So that I can have welfare and Medicare and Medicaid over at my house. Now I'm not saying you can't have those things. You can have those things. I'm telling you what the consequences of having those things. What, How the wrath of God. Wrath of God is simply the consequences of sin. What is sin? Strain from the righteousness of of God. Not singing the song of Moses, but singing the song of fools. Whoso removeth the stones shall be hurt therewith. Removeth what stones? The boundaries. That's why some people are so against a wall that they, that, I mean, they want their door to be able to lock, but they are uh, against everybody else having walls because they want access to your pockets to get their free stuff. Because they don't care about you as much as they care about themselves. They don't love their neighbor as themselves. But neither do you because you're not sitting down the tens, hundreds, and thousands taking care of the needy of your society through an ointment that does not stink. Through an ointment that is provided not through folly, but through love and charity. You're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. So therefore, whatever you produce, it will stink. And you remove the stones, the boundaries. You you did you take away choice from your neighbor. And he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. 
clean with wood. Work at getting what you need. You know, you want heating subsidies, you'll want that this winter. Because the price of oil, the price of electricity is going to go up and people are going to want, that's what the government will offer you. We will subsidize your heating bills. Well, this year. Verse 10, if the iron be blunt and he do not wet the edge, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. Okay. If you're not going to, you can do everything easy or hard. That's the way it works in this life. You can do it easy or hard. And you think it is easy when they promise you, you know, that speak great swelling words. Oh, it'll be easier. We'll just take a little bit from everybody, but it will end up being hard. You, you know, that's, you start out with one and a half percent, then it's seven, percent then it's 14 percent you start out you nobody owed income tax unless they made so much money in one year that they could actually go out and buy three finished homes my my folks bought yeah after world war ii they bought a home in omaha nebraska for thirty five hundred dollars if they were going to owe any income tax in that year they would have had to make $10,000. That's almost ten times, I mean three times, the value of a single home. But they didn't own any income tax. But they would pay Social Security. But it was small little tiny percentage. And they didn't mind contributing to the needy of society. Problem is, they did not realize that my dad was studying the law at that time. He had already he'd been released from the army because of his injuries uh, in North Africa and Italy. So then he came out on the GI Bill. Uh, must have been 45, 46. And uh, was studying the law. Eventually at Creighton University. And that he didn't realize. Although he did realize, because like, you know, I was born in 1948, uh, a little bit before Israel. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so I'm a little older than Israel, or what's posing as Israel now in the Middle East, or calling itself Israel in the Middle East. But when I was seven years old, I asked him who he worked for. And he knew by then. He knew. Well, until, because he was in a 50% income tax bracket, he said, well, until July 1st, I work for the government. After that, I work for myself. He knew, he knew how the system worked, but he didn't know how to do anything about it. I mean, he tried to, he, he, I mean, he dealt with corruption at every opportunity. But, uh, then I let him read my first book. And he, he thought, wow. You're right. Of course, the first book doesn't have a solution in it. He passed away before I could give him my fifth book, <laughs> which has the solution, which is what Christ was offering. It's the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb. That is the solution. But you got to sing it. 
You gotta, you gotta dance to that tune. And you're not dancing to that tune. Your iron is blunt. Your, your wisdom is weak. Your eyes are dull. You live in darkness. You need to get your wisdom directly from God. Verse 11. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment and the babbler is no better. And, you know, so we have a whole section on guru theories. Because the babbler is no better. I mean, the serpent, we can see the serpent, you know, which is, you know, your Klaus Schwab's and your Noah Harari, you know, they're the serpent. But the babbler is no better. The guy who's offering you solutions that are not based on the faith in the real Christ, in the real Jesus, are no better. But we'll talk more about this when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom and we'll finish up Ecclesiastes. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're in Ecclesiastes uh, 10, and we're down in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow himself. Well, of course, you know, you take a bite out of one another, don't do it, lest you be devoured. That's that's the same thing he's talking about. Because the fool covets his neighbor's goods. Through those covetous practices, he desires the benefits of his neighbor. You know, the, the what should be for the benefit of his neighbor, he wants it for his own benefit. He is willing to take a bite out of his neighbor. So he will be swallowed up. It is the same connected idea Said in a different way. And then trans, you know, in a more poetic way of Ecclesiastes. But what's the words of the wise man's mouth are gracious. So what are they talking about? The words of the wise man, wise man's mouth is gracious. What is that word gracious? What does it mean? What, what, how, how, what word is it in the Hebrew? Uh, it's a chin, which has to do with favor, grace, charm, favor, grace, elegance, favor, acceptance. That's the way it's defined. It, it's translated grace or favor or gracious or pleasant. But the man, the wise man's mouth are gracious. Grace. They offer grace. What do they mean, offer grace? You cannot be free unless you set your neighbor free. You know, the the whole idea of grace or gracious, which is uh, chet nun, nun, nun. There's that double nun again. See, the, the word that we see there in the text is said to be chet nun. But it's from a word that means Chetnun Nun, which is most often translated mercy. People say, well, I paid into the system, I want my money back. 
But you can't, your money isn't, you can't get it back. It was spent already. The system was started when the government was bankrupt during the Depression. And it needed more collateral. And they said, well, you guys all be collateral for our debt. And we will give you a kind of transitory promise of social welfare. Well, it's not an insurance program. They made that clear. We call it social insurance, but it's just the altars of Nisi. Forced contributions, providing the welfare for the people. And you can do that. But it will degenerate the people into eventually perfect savages. And you'll find once more a monarch and a king. Yeah, Tucker Carlson gave a speech at uh, that Charlie Kirk's uh, group and uh, you can probably look it up. Uh, and he gave a speech. I thought it was uh, somewhat funny. <laughs> I, I can't stand Tucker's laugh. Uh, but, I mean, I'm probably okay if we're just in a conversation. Maybe I'm too used to... I grew up with Roger Mudd and Walter Cronkite and Eric Severide. And his laugh just seems like I, I, I can't get used to it. <laughs> but anyway, he was talking about how, uh, you know, the, the so-called insurrection where guys walking around through the building most, for the most part, because they had a complaint. They thought that the election had been stolen. And they went to the guys who stole it, and they said, why'd you guys steal the election? And they were protesting. And most of them just walked around the building, did almost no damage. And we know that some of the damage was done by provocateurs that were put in there. We we have it on film. We have agents of the government breaking windows <laughs> and got caught on film doing it. You may need to talk about uh, a cat with a bird in his mouth. <laughs> he looks so guilty. But uh, anyway, uh, he pointed out being facetious and sarcastic. It says it wasn't like when they killed George Floyd when everybody went out and robbed the liquor store, you know, and they robbed the, uh, you know, uh, whatever it was, some sports shoe store he named, I think, or something, but burned down their own neighborhood in protesting George Floyd's death, which George Floyd killed himself. He had been doing it regularly for years and years and years. His use of uh, fentanyl and meth and other drugs was... Slowly killing him. Maybe he's a big, strong guy. But, uh, not COVID, but the lockdowns were killing him because it was giving him idle time. And in that idle time, he was doing drugs. And he was mixing with unsavory, dishonest people and passing counterfeit money and all this stuff. But he died of an overdose of fentanyl. Because he swallowed the fentanyl tablet you see in his mouth. If you look at the autopsy, even the preliminary autopsy report said that it appeared that he did not die from any trauma to the neck or any suffocation. He died of drugs. And the toxicology report shows that he had three times the lethal, what would normally be considered a lethal dose of fentanyl in his system. And what are the symptoms of somebody 
who is dying of fentanyl, they can't breathe. And, and you could you could set them up in a chair and they would die just as quick as laying them down on the ground. Because the, the, I, if they go to sleep, they're dead. Because that's what's happening. Their, their system is shutting down so they can't breathe. They're, they're suffering from oxygen loss. He wanted to lay down. He would not get in the car. It's just amazing. But people don't see that. They just are looking for a reason to get mad, get upset. And they play right into the hands of the controlled media, went out and burned down their own communities, robbed the, their own uh, communities because they're perfect savages. But they're perfect savages because LBJ and FDR, uh, well, certainly LBJ, targeted the black community with his great society. Targeted them with a system that was based on covetous practices. And we knew this 150 years before Christ, that if you if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, you will degenerate as a society into perfect savages, finding once more a monarch and a king. Because you've instituted the rule of force to take away from your neighbor so that you can have free stuff. And so why wouldn't they rob every store in the community? They had been turned into perfect savages by a system of social welfare that was called in Sumer Nazi. <laughs> That's actually one of the pronunciation of Nazi or Nasen, which is the goddess of welfare that funded the welfare. The, the social, I, I just cringe every time I think about the, the panel in uh, Jordan Peterson's Exodus saying, well, they had no social safety net in those days. They, they've had social safety nets from the beginning of time. And you either have one based on righteousness, which is granting the right to your neighbor to choose to give or not to give. That's grace. You give grace to your neighbor and say, you can give or not to give. I will allow you that choice. If you don't allow him that choice, you become an instrument, a thing. Which is, you know, I, I quote this many times, freedom is the right to choose, the right to create for oneself the alternative choice without the possibility of choice. And the exercise of choice, a man is not a man. But a member, an instrument, a thing that is possessed by the government. Well, that was written originally by Archibald McLeish, who was born back in 1892, died in 1982. And he was an American poet and writer. But he also worked for somebody that we all know. He he worked for President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was a part of the New Deal. But he eventually realized that freedom is the right to choose. 
If you do not give the right to choose to your neighbor by creating a social safety net, a social welfare system, set the table of Christ through charity, you will not be free. Jordan Peterson needs to learn that. You need to learn that. Jonathan Peugeot needs to learn that. All the guys in your your, your pastor needs to learn that. And God wants you to be free. So God wants you to create a social safety net based on faith, hope, and charity, which is the church. And any other church that promotes anything other than that, welfare through force, welfare through men who exercise authority, anyone who promotes that is taking the name of the Lord in vain. They are false prophets, false teachers. They do not have sound doctrine. They are a perversion. Archibald said in 1940, The perversion of the mind is only possible with those who should be heard in its defense are silent. Well, I'm not silent. He wrote that in a time to speak. And, and again, that's back in 1940. He was already been working for FDR for quite some time by the time he said that. But you don't study history in school anymore. You don't need to study history in school. You need to make the mistakes of history and go back into bondage again. And that's what you've done. You've gone back into the bondage of Egypt again. But there's a way to be free. There's a way to turn around. But you have to repent. Uh, freedom is the right to one's dignity as a man. But you don't have any freedom if you will not extend that freedom to your neighbor. But you shouldn't have any problem doing that if you actually love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, you will engage in those covetous practices and exercise authority one over the other. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is mischief, madness. That's right, madness. And that's that's where we're at. Is because of the fact the words of the wise man's mouth is gracious. He he extends choice to his neighbor. But the lips of the fool will swallow up himself because he's willing to take a bite out of his neighbor. I don't know how many different ways I can say it so that you can make that connection. I'll probably put a link into some of those quotes in the New Testament that tell you the same thing. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? Well, (laughs) the wisdom of man can't tell him. Although you can get a pretty good idea if you study history. But... The wisdom of God, which comes from the tree of life, that can tell him. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Because when he goes to the city, he creates a city of blood. And so, you need to do a study on the city of blood. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child. And thy princes eat in the morning. They eat in the morning because they haven't earned 
they don't work first. They don't keep the Sabbath. They eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. They eat in due season. They don't borrow against the future. They don't curse their children with debt. You see it every every couple of months. Extend the debt ceiling. They're eating in the morning when they haven't done the work yet. They haven't earned the money yet. And they are drunk on the power to do that. And you sit and watch your TV because you don't love your neighbor as yourself. You aren't gracious to your neighbor. You will not extend the liberty to your neighbor. And you could if you repented and sought the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, giving the first fruits of their labor to men who don't exercise authority but exercise love and charity. Verse 18, by much slothfulness the building decayeth, and thou idleness of the hands of the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Well, we'll have to take a look at that money answereth all things, but I want to get to at least the last verse here. Verse 20. Curse not the king, do not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber, for a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. So he's warning you to be friends with the unrighteous mammon. For after many days, (laughs) he may come Back to bite you if you're not. Don't listen to those gurus, those folly guys, those babblers. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where you need to be going. That is what he's telling you here in chapter 10. Now, we're going to tell you in chapter 11 a little bit of how to do that. And we'll show you that's exactly what Peter said to do a thousand or more years later. Or theoretically. A long time later. Centuries later. Let's put it that way. Time frame is difficult to tell with Ezra. I mean, some people say it was written in 800 uh, B.C. You know, so when was it written? The wisdom will tell you what you need to know about it. And wisdom... Of God comes from the tree of life. In order to eat of the tree of life, you have to get back to the tree of life. And when you get back to the tree of life, you will be standing in the light of the fiery sword that looks in all directions. It doesn't just look at what the world is doing wrong. It looks at what you are doing wrong. So you have to be humble enough to be willing to see what you have been doing wrong where you were at fault, mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa, turn around and do what is right. Turning around is repentance. It's thinking a different way. That means you have to actually do what Christ said, where he commanded you to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, start caring about one another as much as you care about yourself, 
as much as he cared about us, which meant you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself. But you have to do it. You have to organize yourselves. You have to put aside all your pettiness and really start doing some serious soul searching. Now, we have an afternoon program. We we open that up for calls. I'm getting better and better at doing that. And we'll go through some of the side panel. And hopefully by then I'll have some more links on here that I, I've thought of as I go through. Yeah, I go through this and I put down a lot of stuff. And I go through it again and I put down a lot of stuff. And I go through it again and I put down. But when I'm doing the program, I'm thinking, oh, I could put that, I could put that in. Because the evidence is everywhere. It is everywhere. But you have to be willing to see it. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, slap the puppy with a paper and stick his nose in his mistakes. But I want you, there's no way I can mention the fact that you've been making a mistake for almost a century now. Or more. And you need to repent of that mistake. And God will meet you halfway. And every tick of the clock, don't don't waste your oils. Don't be a foolish virgin. Turn around. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because right now a lot of people's oil, they think they're saved, they think they've figured it out, they think but a little folly makes the ointment stink. A little folly makes our wisdom stink. The wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. And we all know the left are a bunch of progressives who think that socialism is good (laughs) and capitalism is bad. Capitalism is good because it provides you with the opportunity of making a choice to take that which you have and share with somebody else. Because it's in that sharing that you are drawn closer to God. Closer to the tree of life. Close to the wisdom of righteousness. And instead of the wisdom of fools. But you do not want to be drawing near the wisdom of fools. So, again... You have to extend that grace out to others if you want grace to be extended to you. And that is no different than what Christ said. You know, this word folly, it shows up uh, seven times. The the word that they translate it into folly, which is siklus, is one way of saying it anyway. You know, it's shemek, kuf, lamad, avav, tov. Ends in the tov. But it shows up in Ecclesiastes one seventeen, and I gave my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly, because madness and folly think that they are wise, but they perceive that this also is a vexation of the spirit, a conflict of the spirit. You can't be truly wise according to the heart of God and be engaged in madness and folly. And coveting your neighbor's goods to the minimum exercise authority is folly. It's madness. It will end in your destruction. But the word also shows up in Ecclesiastes 2.3. 
I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under heaven all the days of their life. So he was trying everything to figure out what is good and what is not so good. He was looking at these things, exploring them. And he goes on in verse 12, And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king? Even that which hath been already done? Then I saw the wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. We don't want to live in darkness. And I'm sharing with you the light that we have been going the ways of darkness. We have turned a blind eye to the righteousness of God and thought, well, we just we just say we love Jesus. We don't actually have to seek the righteousness. Because he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It isn't his righteousness to covet your neighbor's goods. In Ecclesiastes 7.25, we see this reference to folly as well, but it's actually translated foolish. So, why is it translated foolish? Actually, foolishness. I applied my heart to know, to to search, and to seek out wisdom and the reason of a thing, and to know the wickedness of folly, even of foolishness. Which is that five five three one uh, Hebrew word and madness. So again, we have wickedness, folly, foolishness, and madness all put together in the same. They're all equated with one another. And then, of course, we finally see folly in Ecclesiastes ten one, which we see is a little folly will cause the oil that the virgin should have to stink. But join us on the web, preparingyou.com. Join the network. Become a part of the living network by sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start your quest back to the kingdom. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.